Hello and welcome back to another episode of Service Hero Toolbox, brought to you by your favorite commercial food equipment service association, or SAFESA, to the layperson. Today we have an awesome guest. I'm super excited to talk with her because it's a big deal what she's involved in, and uh, I'm excited to deliver this type of information to uh, our members, to our audience, and anybody listening. We have Maureen Azado from Field Service USA with us today. Uh, going to tell us a little bit about herself, her involvement, and what's so important about Field Service USA. So without further ado, Maureen, welcome to the show. It's my privilege to be here. Thank you so much. Welcome, yeah, absolutely. Maureen. So uh, for those who don't know who you are, why don't you give us a little bit of background? Uh, tell us uh, you know, where you come from, how you got to where you are today, and, and just a little bit about you. Sure. Thank you. I'm the portfolio director for a group of events called Field Service USA. Within that uh, group, we have actually four field service events. Uh, one on the West Coast, which is uh, the one that my friend uh, Nick uh, Cribb is going to be speaking at and moderating a panel on, and that's in Palm Springs every year, usually in the spring. Then we have an East Coast event, which is in Hilton Head uh, in August, so that helps people who are you know, more centered to the east side of the country. And then we have one that's focused on medical, which this industry won't be uh, so concerned with. So that's our whole portfolio. We also have an event in Europe, um, which is a little newer. Uh, we've done that for the past 10 years. And field service, believe it or not, we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. So we're very excited about that. Um, and the, uh, the event is owned by Worldwide Business Research, WBR. Uh, a lot of people know us that way. And we have about 75 events across most major industrial um, sectors, uh, travel, insurance, procurement, supply chain, et cetera. I've been with a company about three years and um, I'm, I love this portfolio in particular. It's a very engaged market and um, I think very generous. Uh, I've, I've noticed that maybe it's because you all are uh, so service oriented. You share a great deal. Um, it's one of my um, favorite events. So um, in my past life, I was an editor and publisher uh, in a related industry to um, uh, food service and food service equipment. I was the editor and publisher of Convenience Store News, which of course, food service is an integral part of the convenience store business. And um, so that's where I met many of the companies that are part of CFESA. And um, I've expanded that base even further with this event. Um, and then I had my own business for quite a while and had my own publication in the food service industry. Um, it was really more on the uh, prepared foods and food to go. So um, have a great love for this sector, and I'm glad to be a part of it once again with this uh, group of events. Absolutely. Well, uh, that, that's a storied history specifically in this industry. So we are uh, absolutely lucky to have you on the show. I'm very, very excited to learn a little bit more about uh, Field Service USA. So can you tell us a little bit about that particular event? Uh, I mean, what it is, when it started, why it started? Yeah, it began in 2003. Uh, like I said, we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. Initially, it started like, you know, most, um, you know, B2B uh, events do is trying to help the sector improve performance, share best practices. Um, you know, at the time that we started, I looked back as we're looking at our anniversary this year, what were the major topics that were of interest in 2003? And they were really 
very centered on blocking and tackling on service, right? And the fundamentals of what we would consider today the fundamentals of service. And it evolved over time, um, you know, especially in the past five to seven years um, on the digitalization and the automation tools to help the sector become more efficient. Um, and also there's, there's been a big shift back in 2003. It was really, uh, you know, service was um, a cost center and it has shifted very significantly to a profit center. So that mind shift has been uh, a significant change, uh, sea change for the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Can you kind of um, enlighten us a little bit on what that means? I think the membership would probably be curious uh, to have that expanded a little bit. What does it mean to shift from a cost center to a profit center uh, in the service world? Yeah, I think back in the early days, you know, um, it was considered uh, something that should be a part of the product itself, that you should service my product I buy um, and it should last forever and you should take care of it forever. I think that mindset has shifted that, you know, because there's so many other tools available, um, there's different models. There was like, um, there, I think one of the biggest shifts perhaps is also in the servitization trend is looking at different profit models. Um, perhaps it's not owning the equipment, perhaps it's leasing the equipment and paying for service, almost like a, um, you know, a, a service, um, you know, service as a service, um, so to speak. Uh, where you uh, you don't own the, the equipment, but you pay for service and the upkeep and maintenance and the conditioning of that service. And I think the mindset has also shifted to trying to keep equipment maintained high all the time to prevent any down uh, downage and outages, right? So that you know whenever equipment equipment is down, it costs the businesses money. So that focus on um, you know on keeping. Uh, equipment operational, even the focus on preventing um, break breakdowns or downtime, uh, that's been a major shift in the market as well. And technology has enabled and is enabling all of that. And I think the uh, pandemic is probably the biggest proof in the pudding of how that worked, right? We So many shifted to remote service um, and there was so much that could be done, uh, you know, through computers and digital tools that now that we're emerging out of the pandemic, people are saying, you know what, these tools are great. We're going to keep them. We're going to keep evolving them and keep moving forward uh, with the automation that is just strengthening, um, you know, our ability to serve customers' needs. Yeah, absolutely. Nick, anything to piggyback off of that before I move on? Yeah, you know, a couple of things that she said there, one of them being the information piece. I know that these smart kitchens that we're hearing a lot about in our sector are huge and it's about, you know, just upping yields and, and um, basically uh, trying to avoid downtime. Um, and then like energy usage and stuff like that, you know, that if, they're, if they've got, say, 20,000 restaurants and they have uh, the, the smart technology that tells them how many times those compressors are short cycling, um, as an example, I mean, that could be burning a whole lot of, of money up for them, whereas they could otherwise, you know, correct the issues. So that's something we're seeing in our, you know, right in front of our face every day now, too. So yeah, that's it's amazing. interesting that's happening across the, across the board. Yeah, yeah. And, and then the other piece that, you know, because of all the digital tools, it throws off an incredible amount of data. And now that we've been doing this, you know, for several years, now it's about harnessing that data. What can we learn from it? Um, what, what information can we give back to our client base, right? To make them smarter about their businesses and the way they operate and 
I think this is where the, the true value is going to lie in the future, where you're not just a, a repair and service company, you're an insights company. You're sharing knowledge on, you know, with your customers, how they can improve their businesses all around. So I think that, that, that data is going to be a tremendous asset in the future. Yeah, I've had an industry peer of mine um, label it this way. He says that, uh, you know, we've got to fix broken things, but this data, it, we're going to be able to weaponize this data later to create more value than anybody ever expected. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to think about weaponizing data, you know. <laughs> yeah, so valuable for this industry in particular, right? I'm very, very excited to see what the future holds. And, uh, and you know, I, I think that Field Service USA is probably a great source of information to be able to learn what's happening in the future. So, um, but we're going to get to that. I don't want to get ahead of myself. So I'm curious, Maureen, what is your role within Field Service USA? I know you said you're the portfolio director, but help us understand a little bit about what that means and what your responsibilities are with the event. Yeah, so this specific event, I'm the producer. And in my world, in the event world, a producer is in charge of researching uh, the industry, the sector, uh, we have an advisory board that we rely on for insights of what's going on, keep us close to your customers. So we understand what your pain points are, um, how you're addressing those pain points, and then that helps us build an agenda. And that's the next part of my job is once I gather all the information, I build an agenda, I send it to my advisory board and a couple of other key people that help me with my research and say, hey, what do you think? Have I captured the major themes? Have I captured uh, the topics you want to hear uh, when you come to this event? And um, I get great feedback. And then um, the next phase is the recruitment of the speakers who can address those themes and topics. Um, and then I manage the whole event from, you know, from research all the way to um, delivery. I kick off the event on the MC, so to speak, of the event, and um, I, you know, train and help and um, you know all my speakers and make sure they know what to expect at the event. And we do all sorts of, you know, prep calls with our speakers. And um, so yeah, so it's a soup to nuts job. It's great because you you're you're in it from the beginning to end. You you develop it, you build it, and then you get to execute on site. And then how soon after you, you perform an event are you working on the next one? And we work about nine months in advance. So okay. our research usually starts nine months in advance, um, and that's true of all, all our events. And I have three events that I produce personally in my portfolio, um, and two of them are related to food service. I have Field Service Palm Springs and then Field Service Europe, which we have um, usually in November, early December. And we tend to host that out in Amsterdam, so not a bad gig. And, no, um, <laughs> and then a related um, event I have, it's a little newer, um, it was a, a launch in 2018, is called Connected Manufacturing Forum. And that's all about Industry 4.0. So there's a lot of relationship between the field service group and Connected Manufacturing because there's so many manufacturers within field service who are also implementing um, Industry 4.0 in their manufacturing practices, although it'd be different people that would come to my uh, event on manufacturing. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is you work very little. You, you <laughs> do <all> the time. <laughs> they don't give us too much downtime in between. The minute you finish one event, you know you're launching another. So. Well, and if my math is correct, you said there's about nine months in between, you know, that you're planning. So you're always juggling at least two at a time, right? At I least. mean, 
yeah, that's that's got to be difficult. <laughs> I don't envy you. Yeah, you at know? one point, maybe for about a month, I have three going, but um, okay. I'm at the beginning of one and sort of the horizon of the other. So it usually works out pretty well. It gets a little hairy sometimes. No. I've got like a one hour segment in one of those things you've got going on. And uh, I'm a little stressed about that. And here you are juggling <laughs> three complete start to stop. You wear it well, Maureen. You're doing great. <laughs> well, I'm excited about, you know, you, now that you brought it up, um, the session um, that you're going to be moderating, it's a huge issue, I think, in the sector, and that's um, the shrinking labor pool and where do you find um, good help, um, you know, good technicians, good engineers, and where do you start and how do you partner with, um, you know, local communities, trade schools, um, even, you know, um, some other non-traditional approaches. So you have a great um, panel that I'm looking forward to you uh, leading uh, to address this really important issue. I think uh, it, and this is an issue across all industrial sectors, but it's particularly challenging in, in field service. Yeah, well, as a slight prelude, I'm going ahead and give a tip of the cap to my buddy Josh Zolan because he's, he's greatly influenced my thoughts and perspectives on that shrinking labor pool and kind of disrupted the way a lot of people look at it that we don't need to be looking from within our industry we need to be looking from outside of it and and then it's not just you know getting new people in but it's also keeping the really good ones that we have so i'm, I'm really excited to be a part of it and josh i'm looking forward to spreading your good news as i as i get over there in california i'll try not to screw it up man oh thanks man <laughs> if you need any tips let me know and, and on that topic i just think it's important for this call and the membership to know that one of my best and brightest up and coming technicians was a mailman and wow. he, he went from mailman to technician. So that's uh, take that for what it's worth, that's right. you know, but uh, it's a perfect example of looking outside the industry and hiring on character and teaching the skill set. But uh, anyway, moving on, I don't want to go down any rabbit holes don't here. Getting fired up. That's right. No, don't, don't get me started. <laughs> Retention is so important. I mean, it's critical. Yeah. You're right. I mean, you really have to hire for um, ability to learn and personality and, um, you know, ability to balance multiple things. It's not necessarily their technical skills. You know, you can teach that. You can't teach personality and a service-minded um, orientation. That's right. Agreed. So who who actually attends Field Service USA? You know, what what's the bulk of your attendance and 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 you know, what is it that they look for when when they arrive? Sure. Um, for on average, 60/40 is our ratio between um, you know, the service leaders and um, then we have solution providers who also attend some being sponsors and some who would just come as attendees to learn and um, and explore as well. And the level, um, you know, our speaker level tends to be quite high. We're at the, you know, C-level VP, SVPs, directors of service. But we also attract, um, you know, manager level. Uh, and a lot of people bring their teams. So they use the event as a platform to bring 10, 15 members of their teams have meetings or they use them i think the event also has a reward sometimes for their team members to come learn and and you know extricate from their day-to-day -day and come rub elbows with other people who do what they do um and have deep learning no that's that's fantastic sounds incredibly valuable admittedly i haven't been to the to the event but i i, I do want to go so i'm i'm still considering it this year and uh, either the West Coast or the East Coast. I mean, either one seems uh, seems good. You said the East Coast one is in August, right? Correct. 
and I want to make sure to give you the right dates there. Um, August 15th to the 17th this year. And the one in April in Palm Springs, what are the dates for that one? Uh, that's April 25th to the 27th. I'll get a room with a pull-out couch, Zolan, if you change, if you're ever... <laughs> <laughs> Right on, but, oh, very cool. So, so uh, I'm, I'm really curious, you know, you said you've been doing this for 20 years. I imagine it with a big focus on technology, year after year after year, there's, there's different things, there's evolution in, in, in the type of information that you're providing. What is different this year about years past? Anything? Um, in the programming, for sure. One, one big shift, and I think, um, Nick, you, you mentioned it a little bit on the smart kitchens, um, you know, with energy conservation, and that's like one pillar of sustainability, mm -hmm. right? That ability to, um, you know, everyone's just a little bit more aware um, in the past on sustainability. So everyone's a little bit more aware of their carbon footprint, the need to really get your arms around it. Um, and I think finally understanding that sustainability is good business practice because the more sustainable you are as a company, the, the more profitable you'll be. You're, you're removing costs, you know, fundamentally from how you operate. So if your energy is, is more, um, you know, if you're conserving more energy and doing more with less, um, if you're recycling, if you're reducing waste in your um, practices, um, all of that is good for your fundamental uh, bottom line. So uh, we're starting to see a big revolution in that. And I think digitalization has brought about I think the focus on uh, the ability to execute on sustainability, right? If you have smart sensors, smart devices that are telling you, um, hey, you know, you could be more efficient here, or this is, you know, this isn't a great practice. You need to, you know, shore this up. Um, you know, uh, technology is just making us smarter and helping us, um, you know, be able to deliver on sustainability goals for sure. You know, Absolutely. one cool example I heard is I had a, a friend of mine that, said he was operating with IOT in the smart kitchens and he had 8,000 kitchens that had a dishwasher in it. And one of those 8,000 was running like nine times a day. And so he sent somebody there and figured it out. And the manager was so anal about the kitchen being clean that if there was one fork on the floor, she'd throw the fork in there, put it in the dishwasher and turn it on. And he was like, Hey, let's fill <laughs> the dishwasher up and let's try to run that thing twice a day. But it is a, it's a good picture of, you know, people are wired different. She thought she was doing a good job by keeping every item she could clean um, in this example. But if, if that were to have spread and it was 20 or 30 or 40 kitchens doing that, you know, there's wear and tear on the machine, there's energy being overused. And it's just one cool way example that they were able to, to your point, Maureen, drop that straight to the bottom line. They alleviated the cost of it. Yeah. Yeah. So education is really important, right? I think your mm -hmm. example is, you yep. know, points to that is, you know, and letting everybody in this, you know, in the service stream, understand what role they play in achieving sustainability, right? Why is it, why is it important? And also what's in it for them, right? Mm -hmm. whether it's incentives or rewards that you can give them. Um, but they need to understand it. If they don't understand it, they're not going to care. Right. Right. What's in it for them. That's the magic words right there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, and that's, that's fantastic. And I'm, I am curious. I'm going to take us down a little bit of a side path here just because Maureen, you, you've got kind of this bird's eye view, it seems like over the industry and the, and the coming technology and stuff like that. I'm wondering what associations you've seen between the willingness to adopt this new technology and the success of service companies? 
Yeah, I mean, certainly you can draw, you know, immediate um, correlations between companies that had, you know, invested early in technology and reaping the rewards for sure. And it's rare that you, you talk to anybody that says, I'm doing things the old school way and I'm still doing fine. I don't need this. It, it's really, um, you know, it's an imperative. It's a competitive imperative now. Um, mm. You know, so many companies are investing in it. If you don't invest in digital tools and analytics uh, to help you uh, shore up your strength as an operator, um, you know, you're just going to get pushed out of the market. Yeah, you hear that, everyone? If you don't, if you're not going to listen to me, listen to Maureen. No okay, kidding. that's a good word. All right. And that's, and listen, as Nick knows, I like to issue challenges on this show, you know, to membership and to service company owners and stuff like that. So if anybody out there is listening, chances are, if you're listening or watching this show, you probably have a little bit of a technological mindset, which is a good thing. You're already ahead of the curve, but please rewind and listen exactly to what Maureen just said. Okay. It's a competitive imperative. I like that, that statement right there, because it's so true and if you want to succeed in the future in this industry, you have got to begin adopting this technology, not only adopting this technology, but looking ahead and seeing, you know, what tomorrow could bring. So and Field Service USA, from what I understand, just from from this meeting is uh, is a very good way to do that. So that's my challenge today for the listeners. <laughs> and if I can um, add the other piece that, you know, you're going to be able to do, everybody hears about AI, right? Machine learning. There's going to be, um, you know, people who have the foundational technologies in place and the data um, to apply AI and machine learning to are going to be way ahead. Um, you're going to be, you know, I, I, I can't even imagine um, what AI is going to do for our, our life, um, you know, and how it's going to change the way we operate and do business. It's just, um, you know, just going to be a huge um, sea change. And um, I think it's very exciting, but you got to be in it, right, um, to, to, to play um, and get the benefits from it. So um, get in it. Absolutely. You walked into this one, Maureen. I got another question for you around, surrounding that. Where, where do you see AI and machine learning uh, most proficiently being adopted into this particular industry? And what area is it being most used now and in the future? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the most I think the most practical one is being able to get into predictive maintenance and mm -hmm. The next phase is prescriptive, um, where you know lots of you, you can anticipate something going down, and then you get in there and you 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 condition it. You make sure it never goes down. You know, a piece of equipment can last you know 330 days without going down. You want to get in there on 329, 328. Get in there, do the work, so that that system never goes down. You go in and repair it when you know it's um, least needed, overnight or maybe early morning, whatever, so that there's no down and you know downtime. Um, and the prescriptive is a little more even advanced, is you know um, where you can see what's going on in a piece of equipment and recommend certain things. Um, you know, to it, um, advanced analytics or adding some other components or modernizing a certain feature because, you know, maybe it's a legacy system that you've been been able to add things to, but maybe that's not going to, you know, suit you in the future. Start thinking about 
what it could become, or do you need a new piece of equipment to either attach to that legacy system or something brand new? Um, so yeah, it's just going to help you stay ahead of whatever's next. That's for sure. Yeah. Sounds absolutely. like weaponizing data. Is what it sounds like. I mean, when you start getting predictive and prescriptive with yeah. things and you, you're already two steps ahead because the data tells you so, that just yeah. makes everybody more productive and efficient across the board. Yeah. And Absolutely. then you know, we talked a little bit about it, but also, you know, that data is so valuable and, um, you know, it's, an, it's such an asset and that asset can also be um, profit generating. There could be other products you could create out of that. Um, other services you could provide to your customers who might not have the time or inclination to to look at it and 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 see the data, you know, and and spend the time digging into it like you can because you understand the service aspects of that equipment or that company. Um, so it could you know yield new business opportunities that today we're not even you know not not even on our radar screen. Mm. The future is faster than you think, everyone. Get on board. All right, that's that's super cool. So I'm I'm really curious, Maureen, what your personal favorite part of these events are. Gosh, you know, it has to be the people. I've, I'm so amazed at, um, you know, we touched on it a little bit at the beginning, but how much this industry shares. Um, and to work with these speakers who are so extraordinary and open, they just share so much about their business. They really love the service business and they want to see the whole sector succeed. Um, you know, we attract um, businesses from every industrial sector that you can think of. You know, food service equipment is just one. We also attract a great deal of industrial machinery manufacturers, telecom, um, um, technology, automation and technology, um, fire and, and security and safety. Uh, there's just, um, you know, and medical equipment, of course, is a, a big one, medical devices. Uh, so we really, uh, you, there's so much cross learning. Um, and I think networking and introducing people to each other uh, so that they, you know, share the fruits of, of um, you know, what they're working on with each other. That's just incredibly rewarding. Uh, to be able to do that. All right. Well, you sold me. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> this uh, this sounds like uh, uh, a competitive imperative Aww. that I that I <laughs> attend. No, that's that's fantastic. So, out of curiosity, um, what's a typical uh, attendance number of people? Um, you know, for, for these events. Yeah. Uh, since the pandemic, you know, we came back live after, you know, two years of virtual and um, we were so happy to come back live in November, 2021. And uh, we slowly but surely over the past two and a half years grown almost back to where we were pre-pandemic. We're still a little under pre-pandemic levels of live events, but uh, this event, uh, the last one was about 600 people. Uh, we expect this one uh, coming up in April to be about 700, 750. Um, we might break that 800 barrier. That would be great. But um, and that would bring us to pre-pandemic levels. So um, so we're excited about that. Fantastic. Well, before we wrap up, Nick, what what else am I missing? I'll tell you what, I'm still trying to digest all this good information. I was uh, <laughs> I was expecting it to be fruitful, but I'm over here. I got my imaginative and creative wheel spinning, man. Um, that's really cool. And I appreciate the um, the segue from from AI and how important that is and your thoughts on it. But going straight into, hey, my most my most favorite part about this is the people. 
like relationships still trump everything, right? Yeah. There's no way that a, that a piece of paper with really good data on it's going to trump Zolan's ability to influence and impact me, you know, on an emotional yeah. and um, just a, a generally respectable level. And I appreciate you tying those things together. That's very similar to us in, in our association at Cefesa is, uh, you know, networking is one of our core values. And, yeah. and that's not because we just want to hang out and kick it. It's because you know, we've got people just like me who are better, better versions of themselves because of other people that have poured into them. And it's just really cool that you said that. I'm, I'm really excited about being a part of this event with you. We aligned we align with our values. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think yeah. no matter what, I mean, technology has brought us so much, you know, whether it's remote tools, which are, you know, a lot of companies are using um, or virtual events like this. Uh, they're all wonderful, but it never seems to replace that need to be face to face with people. Uh, we need people. And yeah. um, and I think that's this solidifies relationships um, faster than anything you can do virtually. So, Maureen, Absolutely. can you sing? Are you a good singer? <laughs> I can sing a little bit. <laughs> well, I had this thought, and I'm starting a band called in Competitive Imperatives, and I, I need a lead singer. So, <laughs> yes. consider that. Zolan, I'm going to need a bass player. All right. Yeah, I'm on the X, bud. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's that's awesome, and I I couldn't agree more with uh, with that statement and that sentiment, Nick and and Maureen. People first, then processes, mm -hmm. always, always and forever. So that's awesome. In an effort to wrap it up, um, I'd like to uh, reiterate once more the dates of the shows, where people can find more information, and then a special plug for Mr. Crib over there, Doctor President, and what day and time his session is at. Yep. Um, so uh, just the, the dates of the event are um, coming up very soon, April 25th to the 27th. And Nick's session, um, the panel that he's moderating is going to be on the um, April 26th. It's going to be at 425. And it's the shrinking labor pool, mining labor from local community colleges, trade schools, international markets, and other non-traditional approaches. And he's got three people sitting on that panel, um, two that are related to the food service business. One um, is um, Brent Ringate from Bunn, uh, which most of you know here as well. And then a gentleman from BLM Group, which um, actually makes uh, industrial tubing. And then a gentleman from Crohn's, uh, which is related to the beverage and um, you know food service industry. Uh, they do lines for production of food and beverage products. So. Um, it's going to be a great conversation. I'm really looking forward to it. As am I. Absolutely. And what are the dates for the one on the East Coast? One more time. Yep. Um, Field Service Hilton Head is August 15th to the uh, 17th. Perfect. And if somebody wants more information on the show, wh where can they find it? Yeah. On the, if you just even go into Google and put in the names of the events, Field Service Hilton Head and Field Service Palm Springs, It'll take you right to our websites with all the information. The agendas are on there, venue information, uh, speakers, et cetera. Awesome. And you Maureen, can always call me you. if you have to. Yeah. Absolutely. No, thank you so much. I, I, I really appreciate your time today. I know that uh, our listeners, our audience will as well. Um, and uh, hopefully people can um, glean some insight from this and, uh, and, and join yourself and Nick and possibly me at uh at field service palm springs in april well, wonderful and i'm always open and recruiting speakers so 
you know, right. you're interested in speaking, you've got, you know, something you want to share, please call me, reach out. Well, Zola needs to be in your Rolodex for speaking. He's, he's a very, uh, he's <laughs> Sounds a like it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and anybody out there listening, she, she said she was expecting 750 people, but let's get that thing over 800. If you're, if you're considering go and just meet us there. Awesome. Let's go. Look forward to seeing everybody there. Thank you. All right. Thanks everyone. Take care.